the Tom Sumner Program. Old Fashioned Radio for a New Generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Hey, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back as we roll into the second hour of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program. We're kicking the weekend off early with some fun conversations and uh, and some appropriate music as well. We're going to kick this hour off uh, with a little bit of music, but then we're going to turn to the subject of dinosaurs, and we'll travel to the Sahara and other parts of the world with paleontologist um, Nizar Ibrahim uh, is his name and he is uh, a National Geographic explorer paleontologist with uh, some very interesting things to say and uh, then we're going to uh, head to Broadway but uh, but first we got a little music that's appropriate to the great weather that we're having and I think a lot of people, I don't know about you, but it seems like people's moods are changing now that it seems like we're turning the corner on the pandemic. But we'll talk about that some more. Oh, 
thetomsumnerprogram.com. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program, and uh, May 18th is International Dinosaur Day, and uh, May is uh, a time when National Geographic is uh, celebrating its first annual month-long celebration of dinosaurs, and who better to talk about all that with than a world-renowned paleontologist, Nizar Ibrahim, who joins me by phone. Nizar, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. And and I, I didn't mention in the introduction that, that you're also a National Geographic Explorer. Um, what, do, what does that really mean and entail? Well, um, a few years ago, the National Geographic Society reached out and... Um, uh, that's when I was named uh, at the time an emerging explorer with National Geographic. And in practical terms, what it means is that you have, um, you know, a, a really incredible partner by your side. Uh, National Geographic, of course, is a giant in the world of exploration and science communication. Um, and I've worked with many different uh, departments uh, at National Geographic. You know, I'm a speaker with the Speakers Bureau at National Geographic. Um, I've worked on National Geographic exhibits. I've worked on film projects. I've worked in magazine stories, um, and I also did a lot of work with National Graphic Kids, and, um, you know, they they put together this incredible uh, Dinomania project, celebrating dinosaurs for an entire month, and, um, you know, asked me if I would be happy to, to basically be, um, you know, the spokesperson for this month-long celebration of all things dinosaurs, uh, and, of course, you know, uh, I said yes, because I love dinosaurs, and... You know, I, I love to share the excitement of science and exploration with people, um, you know, all around the world, really. Nizar, how did your love affair with dinosaurs begin? Well, um, it started with a book. Um, and it was a book on dinosaurs and other extinct animals. And I was four or five years old. And on the pages of this book... I discovered this incredible world um, of, you know, not just dinosaurs, but, you know, these entire ancient ecosystems. And I was just blown away. I was hooked. And I decided there and then that I would become a paleontologist. Um, there was just something irresistible uh, about, um, you know, this, these uh, giants of the past and, and the world they lived in. And you have a, a special... Uh, affinity for sp the Spinosaurus. How did that happen? Yeah, that's right. That's, well, Spinosaurus uh, was essentially the holy grail of dinosaur paleontology. Um, Spinosaurus was originally uh, uncovered over a century ago in the Sahara Desert, and um, it was described by a pioneering German paleontologist, Ernst Stromer, um, based out of Bavaria in, in southern Germany. Um, and so the bones of Spinosaurus um, were housed at the Bavarian State Collection Museum in Munich. Um, Stromer did not have a complete skeleton, but he had enough of the skeleton um, 
to know that this was a really strange dinosaur, a dinosaur with big, tall spines on its back, hence the name, Spinosaurus. Some of these spines were as tall as a person. Um, he also noticed that this dinosaur had a strange, slender, elongate lower jaw, a bit like a crocodile with conical teeth. Um, and he knew that it was a giant. Um, he suspected that this animal may have been even larger than T-Rex, which at the time had only recently been described from North America. Um, and so uh, the, the Spinosaurus bones were put on display in the Bavarian State Collection Museum, which at the time was one of the best natural history museums in the world. Um, but then uh, tragedy struck. And uh, during World War II, uh, the museum was uh, entirely destroyed, uh, including the bones of Spinosaurus, and they were lost, seemingly forever. Um, and so Spinosaurus became this really mysterious, enigmatic dinosaur. We knew that it existed, and we knew that it was strange, and we knew that it was big, and that was about it. And so um, I decided to follow in Stroma's footsteps. I wanted to return to the Sahara Desert, and I wanted to, you know, rediscover this lost world of African dinosaurs. I've always been fascinated with African dinosaurs because we know so little about Africa's age of dinosaurs. Um, much of what we know about dinosaurs is really based on discoveries from places like North America and, and Europe. Um, and so I, did, I returned to the Sahara, and we did locate uh, a new Spinosaur skeleton. It was a very um, uh, long story of, of detective work and adventure you know, <laughs> featured in a National Geographic documentary film, uh, Bigger Than T-Rex, it's called. Um, and when we pieced together our new Spinosaurus skeleton, uh, the only one in existence in the entire world, uh, we were just blown away. This was a giant predator with um, dense bone. Uh, and this is something we see in animals like manatees, for example. Dense bone is important in buoyancy control in the water. And we also realized that our Spinosaurus had a really strange tail, unlike any other tail uh, in a dinosaur. It was a paddle-shaped tail. Um, and we realized that this dinosaur was, in fact, a water-loving dinosaur, a, a river monster. Um, because uh, 100 million years ago, when Spinosaurus was alive, um, the Sahara was home to a vast river system, which is pretty amazing when you think about it because it's a very inhospitable and dry place today, but it was home to a river system, and um, I call it the River of Giants. It was home to giant SUV-sized fish and crocodile-like hunters as long as a school bus and Spinosaurus. And um, so we had a first in the world of dinosaurs. Spinosaurus is the only dinosaur with these incredible adaptations for a largely aquatic life. Um, and so this dinosaur is always going to have a special place in my heart because it really rewrote the dinosaur textbooks. And, you know, I, I feel very privileged that I got to work on this incredible creature. More about dinosaurs with paleontologist Nizar Ibrahim straight ahead. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. 
Remember, your voice matters. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can. Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed, a magical place with magical charms, indoors, indoors, indoors. Take it away. Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. More about dinosaurs with paleontologist Nizar Ibrahim straight ahead. Now, these these creatures lived, what, 65 million years ago? Well, um, the dinosaurs, at least the ones we um, 
typically think of, you know, animals like T. rex and, and so on, um, went extinct about 66 million years ago. Uh, but of course, dinosaurs existed for a much longer time before then. Dinosaurs uh, dominated life on our planet for about 180 million years. Um, and so they were an incredibly successful group. And they lived through major changes, moving continents, changes in sea levels, changes in climate, you know, you name it, um, smaller extinction events. And it was only, you know, the, uh, an asteroid impact that uh, brought their reign to an end. And um, that was also our lucky break for mammals, you know, because our furry little ancestors lived quite literally in the shadows of the dinosaurs. Um, for this entire time, mammals emerged at around the same time as the dinosaurs, um, and they only got the lucky break when uh, most of the dinosaurs were gone, and then, you know, what we call the age of mammals began. Uh, but I should add that one branch of the dinosaur tree did not go extinct, um, and those are the animals we now call birds. Uh, we know that some dinosaurs had feathers, um, and initially feathers did not evolve for flight, which is kind of crazy, right? We think of feathers as yeah. you know, the quintessential flight adaptation. But in dinosaurs, these feathers evolved in animals that clearly couldn't fly. So it was probably due to insulation to keep the animals warm. Maybe it was used for display. Some of these dinosaurs had spectacular tail feathers, a bit like a peacock's tail. Um, and it's only later that some of these dinosaurs took to the air um, and there are all sorts of bizarre creatures. There were four-winged, delta-winged um, uh, flying dinosaurs. There were um, small ones, uh, larger ones. Uh, but one group um, gave rise to, to birds. And so scientifically speaking, birds are dinosaurs. They're surviving dinosaurs. And um, that's pretty really remarkable when you think about it because um, uh, there are more bird species in the world than, uh, than mammals today. So in some ways, we still live in an age of dinosaurs. Well, I think it helps being able to fly. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the <laughs> key factors that um, one of the key factors that that helps the dinosaurs, um, you know, the, the birds survive the, the mass extinction is really their small size. Um, only small organisms survive that mass extinction event, um, and uh, you know, fortunately for us. Uh, birds may be true because birds are absolutely amazing and very successful animals. Um, but, uh, yeah, flight is actually something that doesn't appear very often in the history of life on Earth. There are only three groups of vertebrates that evolved flight. Birds, bats, and pterosaurs, the flying reptiles that lived alongside the dinosaurs. Is what we know about dinosaurs, how much of it is speculative from digging up bits and pieces? Um, that's a very good question. You know, science, of course, by its very nature, is, is always evolving, right? And so if you look at reconstructions of T-Rex um, from, you know, the 1960s or 1970s, um, it looked rather different from T-Rex today. Um, you know, it was dragging its tail on the ground, uh, you know, uh, so... Our, our science is always evolving, um, but today we are using so many different approaches and we have so many incredible tools at our disposal um, that I would say our reconstructions are really um, pretty accurate because um, we're using cutting-edge te cutting technology to 
look inside the skulls of dinosaurs, for example, to reconstruct their brains so we can figure out which dinosaurs had good vision uh, or a good sense of smell. Uh, we have preserved dinosaur skin and in some cases feathers. We found some dinosaurs sitting on a clutch of eggs, so we learned more about their reproductive biology. We find dinosaur tracks um, that show us that some dinosaurs lived in herds and moved in herds. Um, we're using sophisticated modeling techniques to reconstruct the biomechanics of dinosaurs. Um, so uh, our you know, study of dinosaurs has become more rigorous and, and, and you know, more accurate. Um, but, of course, there will always be some things uh, we don't know, right? And that's, of course, you know, the, the beauty of science, you know. Uh, we never claim to have all the answers. And um, uh, with dinosaurs, the great thing is that one single discovery can challenge, you know, decade-old dogma, as happens with spinosaurus, for example. You know, people used to believe that, you know, dinosaurs never really invaded the aquatic world. And now we have spinosaurus, and I'm sure it's not going to be the last largely aquatic dinosaur we find. Um, so, you know, to answer your question, yes, our reconstructions are quite accurate and there's a lot we've learned about dinosaurs and their physiology and their behavior. Um, but of course, there will always be room um, for new discoveries and of course also speculation. You know, we, we can only uh, base our reconstructions and, and our image on uh, the available evidence at a particular point in time. How did how do dinosaurs get their names? Um, so when you find a, a dinosaur skeleton, one of the things you do is um, you try to find out if it is actually a new species of dinosaur or a new genus, a new type of dinosaur. Um, and so you do a lot of comparing, right? You compare the bones of your dinosaur to all the other dinosaur bones out there. Sometimes there are telltale signs in the skeleton that tell you, tell you, um, you know, what type of dinosaur you're dealing with. You know, are you dealing with a, a horned dinosaur like a, like a Triceratops and, and its relatives, or are you dealing with a large predatory dinosaur or a long-necked plant-eating dinosaur and so on. Um, and if it turns out that your uh, skeleton or the parts of the skeleton you found um, are unique, then you get to propose a new name for your dinosaur. Um, Sometimes uh, the name will refer to the place where the dinosaur was found. Um, uh, one example would be Argentinosaurus, which was found in Argentina. Um, it might be the largest dinosaur ever found. Um, uh, sometimes you just try to find something that captures, um, uh, you know, the essence of a dinosaur. So a good example would be a dinosaur called Carnotaurus, which uh, literally means flesh-eating bull. And Carnotaurus was a predatory dinosaur with a short snout, um, and uh, it had horns on its head, right? So it really was a flesh-eating bull in some ways. Um, uh, but really, there are many different things. You can also refer to mythology. Um, sometimes people refer to local uh, mythology. Um, so there are many different ways you can name a dinosaur. Um, and, of course, you also want to find something that rolls off the tongue, something that just sounds great, you know, and it's, you know, Tyrannosaurus Rex is a name that, you know, just sounds great and everybody knows how to say it, uh, you know. So it, it really depends, you know. There are a number of things you can do when you name a dinosaur. Yeah, what happened to the Brontosaurus? Oh, <laughs> that's a good question. Because um, so it went through a name change. 
It did. And, you know, when the original skeleton was put together, um, there were some parts of the skeleton missing, and it then turned out that really uh, another dinosaur that had been named Apatosaurus um, is essentially what we, you know, uh, called Brontosaurus. So the name Brontosaurus was dropped. Um, but interestingly enough, a couple of years ago, uh, people looked at um, uh, a lot of material of these, you know, long-necked plant-eating dinosaurs again, and they found that the material uh, referred to one species of Brontosaurus, at least, was unique and distinct enough um, from a Patosaurus. And so they resurrected the name Brontosaurus, which is, of course, one of the great dinosaur names. And so for now, at least, Brontosaurus is back. <laughs> and, uh, well, yeah, the Brontosaurus the is... Of dinosaurs. The the Brontosaurus is kind of like the iconic dinosaur. You know, it's it's what kids draw when they draw a dinosaur, unless, you know, they, they want something a little more aggressive, like a T-Rex. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I mean, there are, I think I would argue that there are really uh, four four iconic dinosaurs that we all know. Um, Brontosaurus is one of them, um, T-Rex, uh, Triceratops, and Stegosaurus. And it's no coincidence that all four of these dinosaurs are North American dinosaurs um, because that's really where most of the early discoveries came from. And, uh, you know, these dinosaurs were featured in, in cartoons and books and Hollywood movies. Um, so they became global celebrities, really. Um, but it also reflects our very biased view of the world of dinosaurs. And, you know, as I said, that's why I spend a lot of time hunting for dinosaurs in Africa, uh, because we know so little about Africa's age of dinosaurs. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm trying to tell the story of Africa's dinosaurs, because, you know, we know so much about T-Rex and company. So we're trying to fill these big gaps in our understanding. These are in the very early days of paleontology, in fact, before they even knew to call it paleontology, when these things were first being discovered. Was was there as much excitement about it as there is now when we discover new varieties and so on? Well, um, the very first discoveries were really, um, you know, puzzling. Uh, and and uh, some dinosaur leg bones, for example, were interpreted as remains of, of you know giants, giant humans at first. Um, and it took a while for people to realize a that you know um, extinction was a real thing that they were they used to exist um, you know lost worlds that are no longer around today. I and mean, there was a huge revolution in science in science to realize that you know some organisms are no longer around today uh, to understand that mammoths, for example, are extinct relatives of the elephant, right? Um, there was a really important step, and that was, you know, huge at the time, um, you know, because it really um, questioned the prevailing wisdom that essentially, you know, our planet was just a few thousand years old and that we were just living, you know, alongside... Um, you know, God's perfect creation and, and, and to the concept that they were, you know, terrible lizards, which is what dinosaurs mean, roaming our planet uh, millions of years ago uh, was quite a shock. The name Dinosauria was coined by a British anatomist and paleontologist, Sir Richard Owen, and 
So he named them terrible lizards when he realized that many of these strange bones of ancient reptiles that people were finding um, in England uh, really belonged to the same group of animals, which was an incredible feat of comparative anatomy to realize that all these different animals belong to, to the same group. Um, and it was quite a sensation. Um, there's a place outside of London, Crystal Palace, where they mounted life-size reconstructions of these dinosaurs, or what they thought these dinosaurs looked like at the time. Um, and the Crystal Palace dinosaurs, you can still see them today, um, were so successful. You know, it was a huge draw, and it was really the first episode of, of, of Dinomania. Um, so, yes, it, it was uh, a sensation at the time, and people were extremely interested in these animals. Um, and I think Dinomania has never really ended since. You know, so it's, um, there's something, there's an enduring appeal to these animals that is sometimes difficult to explain, especially because there are other extinct animals out there, and I, I mentioned mammoths, right? No other group of extinct animals generates the same level of interest and enthusiasm as the dinosaurs. Why is it that, that all these millions of years later, kids are, are so enamored with, uh, with dinosaurs, like you were when you were a kid, Nizar? Um, not all of them become paleontologists, but, but I think all kids have a love affair with dinosaurs, at least for some period of time in their life. Yeah, I think... Um Partly, it has to do with their strange anatomy. You know, they, they look like extraterrestrials from outer space in some ways. They're really bizarre animals um, with no modern-day equivalents, right? But I think there's also something else. I think, you know, um, and that has to do with the, uh, you know, innate uh, curiosity about the natural world that kids have, you know. Um, they love to discover um, the, the world around them and animals, um, with dinosaurs, I think there's this whole, this entire hidden world, um, you know, which goes beyond our immediate surroundings, right? We can find out about the animals in our, you know, neighborhood. We can find, you know, we can watch documentary films about rhinos and elephants and, you know, but we kind of know what's out there. With dinosaurs, you get to travel to this other world um, where new discoveries await, you know? It's very unlikely that you'll, you'll find many other large mammals on our planet today, for example, right? It doesn't matter where you go to explore, we kind of know what sorts of animals live on planet Earth. But with paleontology, you get to explore these incredible places, and you could discover all sorts of new animals, right? So I think, you know, the, the explorer inside of you, you know, wants to explore these places. Um, and also, I guess, part of the appeal is also that they live... Um, such a long time ago. So kids can essentially become time travelers, right? You go back in time and you explore these strange places, which, again, are kind of like alien planets, right? It's like something out of Star Wars when you see some of these creatures. And so I think it's really this combination of factors and, and also the, the reality of dinosaurs. I think, you know, seeing these tangible clues, these, these ghosts from deep time in a museum is very powerful because... You know, dragons in, in, in mythology or in fairy tales and so on um, are, are interesting for kids, but they know that they're not real. With dinosaurs, they go to the museum and they see these towering skeletons, and they know that these animals really existed. And I think that's very powerful. Um, I also think that for kids, learning about dinosaurs and learning all of these dinosaur names, which is what many kids do, also gives them an incredible 
you know, sense of power over these animals in some respects, right? Um, by knowing everything about them and, and, and their, their, knowing all the names, they're kind of like, you know, safe monsters, you know, you kind of exert some control over them. <laughs> and the fact that they know so much more about dinosaurs than the parents do is certainly also a very welcome bonus. Yeah, I would think that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, everything, it seems like, has a day now. How did International Dinosaur Day come about, and, and what is it, and how is it celebrated? Well, um, I think it was only a question of time. Um, you know, we celebrated International Dinosaur Day today, um, but uh, in reality, there are actually several um, different International Dinosaur Days people have proposed, and, you know, different people celebrate different Dinosaur Days. So I think the idea of, of Dinomania was a really good one because it's a month-long celebration of all things dinosaurs, and I think that's uh, really what you need for dinosaurs, an XXL, extra-large celebration of these animals. We've got Shark Week. Um, well, we've got Dinomania, a whole month of, of dinosaur celebration. And, and this is kind of interesting of and, a, and a little different for National Geographic, who has... Um, you know, an incredible selection of dinosaur books that they've published over the years. And they're, of course, National Geographic is famous for their books with the incredible photographs and the the stunning reproductions of them. But this is a little different because they're, uh, they're basically encouraging uh, kids to visit a web hub yeah, I mean, it's all um, connected because if you go to the, to the main hub, if you go to naturalkids.com slash Dinomania, um, one of the really big and important parts is um, the world of dinosaur books um, that National Geographic Kids has, has published over the years. So you get to explore all of these different books, um, and books are really the perfect gateway to the world of dinosaurs. Um, but yes, they also get to print dinosaur posters and, you know, enter a design a dinosaur contest and all sorts of things. Um, but, you know, it, it's a, a lot of it is about the books, you know. Um, and I work on some of these National Geographic books. They're absolutely amazing um, for different age groups. And, um, you know, that's, as I said, how my uh, love affair with dinosaurs started. Um, so there's a great opportunity for the next uh, generation of paleontologists to discover their calling, um, I guess, um, for people that are interested in finding out more about uh, the most recent discoveries, um, I would also recommend checking out uh, the Nat Geo cover story from October 2020, which you can still find online also. Um, it's called Nat Geo Reimagining Dinosaurs. Um, and that was really kind of an overview of our new image of dinosaurs and some of the most recent discoveries. And and thanks for that, that tip. And, I, and I'm going to ask you again in a minute for... Uh, uh, to remind people about some some resources on how they can find out more about what we're talking about. But I'm curious, um, Nizar, what's next uh, for you? Um, and and how mm. much time do you spend researching and lecturing, and how much time do you spend digging? Well, we spend <laughs> most of our time doing things like, uh, like you know, uh, lecturing, uh, you know, teaching students, um, working on, you know, grant proposals. Uh, I also do a lot of, you know, in, in terms of speaking engagements and so on. Um, but, yeah, we spend a few weeks every year digging for dinosaurs, which is really uh, an incredibly fun part of the job. 
Um, and we have a number of really exciting discoveries in the pipeline. Um, so uh, we're going to announce some really exciting uh, new research uh, over the next um, year or so. Um, uh, we found new remains of giant flying reptiles from the age of dinosaurs. Um, and we have a really, really big discovery uh, um, we're working on at the moment. I can't reveal too much, but it's really big. It's so big, you can see it from space. That's all I'm going to say. Wow. Um, uh, <laughs> so that was a good teaser, right? <laughs> That's right. Well, um, you know what that means, Nazar? You have to come back to the show and yeah, talk sure, about I'd some of these. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I have to admit, I've had a lot of guests that are explorers for National Geographic, and, and they've gone through caves and swam with sharks and all these different things. But I think this is the first time I've had a paleontologist on the show, and I hope you'll come back and tell us some more because it's uh, a fascinating subject and a fascinating conversation. Sure, I'd love to. Well, my guest is Nizar Ibrahim, or Ibrahim, rather. He is uh, a paleontologist and a National Geographic explorer. And uh, we've been talking about International uh, Dinosaur Day and, of course, Nat Geo's uh, month-long celebration during the month of May, Dino May Nia. Get it? <laughs> See what they did there? Um Anyway, as as I mentioned uh, a moment ago, Nazar, I, I first want to say thank you for spending this time with me. I really appreciate it. Sure, it was a real pleasure. And and I, I want to make sure, as I do with all my guests, that you can let listeners know again where they can find out more about what we've been talking about. And is uh, com the best place to start? Yeah, that's a good place to look at all the books. You can also check out nephewkids.com forward slash Dinomania. And as I said, if you want to check out the cover story from last year, um, just uh, put Nephew Reimagining Dinosaurs in the search bar. But for Dinomania, yes, um, nephewkids.com slash Dinomania is a good place to start. And Nizar, do you have a website where people can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future? I do. Uh, you can just uh, type my name, Nisa Ibrahim, one word, um, dot net. Uh, and if you just Google my name, you'll find plenty of resources, uh, including National Geographic articles and so on. So um, there are plenty of resources out there if you want to follow our um, uh, research work and our expedition. Well, Nizar, it's been a, uh, a real pleasure uh, meeting you and getting to talk with you a little bit. And I look forward to... Uh, Another visit in the future, I hope. Yeah, sure. Keep I'd up, to. Keep, up so the, for having me. keep up the good work. <laughs> Thank you. That was uh, Nizar Ibrahim, and uh, he is a paleontologist and a National Geographic explorer. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. <laughs> Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. 
The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. Say, objection. I object. I object to that, Your Honor. Oh, hi, Mom. What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just um, Attorney General stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So listen, we just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam. Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, Report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dina, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. 
to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. I worked as an accountant for about two years in Chicago. I had a, got a degree in accounting, went into the Army during the Korean War. Remember that one? <laughs> and, uh, no benefits. And uh, I have held close to 30 separate accounting jobs in two years which is like three weeks at each place, you know. <laughs> I found one thing is true, that they always put you through an orientation program. You spend one week learning all the problems you're going to have to face in this new job. But invariably, after the week in orientation, the first problem you run into, your first day on the job, was never covered in any of the, any of the sessions. <laughs> now, with this kind of prologue, this may seem kind of a jump. My favorite movie is King Kong, the monster movie. This is the greatest monster movie ever made. And the biggest scene, of course, the one you all remember from King Kong, is when King Kong climbs the outside of the Empire State Building. All right, now putting these two thoughts together. <laughs> this, <laughs> this is the night that King Kong climbs the outside of the Empire State Building. It's also the first night on the job for a new guard. See, this is his first night on the job. He's gone through a week's orientation on the problems he's going to face, and it happens to be the night that King Kong climbs the outside of the Empire State Building. Uh, hello, Mr. Uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Nelson? Yes, this, this is uh, Sam Hennessy, the... Uh, the, the, the new guard? Yeah, sir, I, you know, I hate to bother you at home like this on, on my first night, but... Uh, <coughs> See, so, uh, something's come up, sir, and it, it's, not, it's not covered in, in the guard's manual. <laughs> yeah, I, I looked in the index. Yeah, yes, sir, it... I, I looked under an authorized personnel and, uh, and uh, people without passes and, and apes and apes' toes. Uh, apes and apes' toes, yes, sir. Uh, there, there's an ape's toe uh, sticking through the window, sir. Well, uh, see, uh, see, this isn't your standard ape, sir. I mean... Uh, he's between uh, 18 and 19 stories high, uh, d uh, d depending on, on whether there's a 13th floor or not. Uh, uh, uh. Well, uh, sir, I'm, you know, I'm sure there's a rule against, uh, against apes shaking the building. There, there, there is, yes. So I, I, I yelled at his feet, you know, I said... Uh, I said, uh, a shoe ape, and uh, I'm, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to leave, sir. <laughs> and uh, I, you know, I know how you like the new men to, to think on their feet, sir. So um, I, I went to the, the broom class, and I, I got out a broom uh, without uh, you know, signing out a requisition on it. <laughs> I, yeah, I will tomorrow, yes, sir. And, and I started hitting him on the toes with it, you, you see? But uh, it didn't seem to bother him too much. See, uh, there are these planes, sir, and they're, they're flying around them, and, and they're shooting at them, you know. And, 
they only seemed to be bothering him a little bit, so, so I figured I wasn't doing too, too much good uh, with, with, with a broom. Did, did I try swatting him in the, in, in the face with it? Well, I, I, um, I was going to take the elevator up to his head, sir. <laughs> See, but uh, my, my jurisdiction only extends to his navel. You, do, you, don't, you don't care what I do, just, just get the ape off the building. This, uh, this, this may complicate things a little. Uh, he's, uh, he's carrying a woman in his hand, sir. I, no, I, I don't think she works in the building. No, sir. Well, see, as he, as he passed by my floor, uh, she had this kind of negligee on, you know, so I, I doubt very much if she, if she was one of the cleaning women, you, you know, you know. Well, well, sir, the first thing I did, I, I filled out a report on it. Well, I, no, I, I don't want to give the building a bad name either, sir, you know, but... Well, I doubt very much if we can cover it up, sir, you know. Well, you know, the, the planes are shooting at them, you know, and... Uh, I mean, people are, are going to come to work tomorrow morning, and, and some of them are going to notice the ape in the street, you know, and... And, uh, and, and the broken window, you know, and they'll start putting two and two together. You... I, I think we're safe on that score, sir. I, I, doubt, I doubt very much if he signed the book downstairs. You don't, you don't care what I do, just, just get the ape off the building. Well, I, I came up with one idea, sir, uh, but I'm not supposed to leave my post. Well, I, I thought maybe I could smear the Chrysler building with, with bananas. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
closest friends Never mind the rest of us When you think anyone is wise to you Divert them with a fuss You should know they got you figured out Six ways to Sunday Ahead while you've been lying like a log You ain't fooling no one but the dog You think you're doing good Living high on the hog You ain't fooling no one but the dog Nah, you ain't fooling no one but the dog Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. 